Yeah, and I, I mean, actually, I even got a little teary-eyed, right? You know, the first time I started to explore that idea and her story, and I, I knew I was going to probably go there, but I wasn't sure when it would come out or how I would portray it. And the first time she, there's kind of a metaphor that I use in the story of how she sees herself, and kind of this, almost like a coin, you know, that you've got beauty on one side, but on the other side is kind of a shame that is related to that beauty. As I explored that in that chapter, it kind of hit me and got a little teary-eyed as I was writing, like, oh my gosh, this poor lady. And of course, you know, this is, you know, my fictionalized portion of her character, but I, I really do think all these people in the story are people we can relate to in some way and learn from and learn from their mistakes as well. So. My name is Jesslyn, and today I have the pleasure of sitting here with one of my favorite authors, Eric Wilson. Say hi, Eric. Hi there. I am so thrilled you're here. I'm trying to stop fangirling. It's not working super well. But today we are here to talk about your novelization of Samson. Can you give us a little bit of a rundown of what Samson is for people who may not know the story of the strongest man in the Bible? (laughs) Well, most people, even if they aren't really biblically aware, are familiar with the story of Samson and Delilah you know, some basics of the story, uh, but what uh, drew me to the story and what, you know, you can expect to find in the book is a lot deeper exploration of kind of Samson and his parents, the weight of responsibility he felt from them and, you know, their disappointments and struggles with God in the midst of his mistakes, and, you know, a little more um, nuance to Delilah's character instead of just being some love-struck girl or I was going to um, call her a hussy, but that sounds nicer, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, or the other typical thing is that she was this temptress who was out only for his bad, and I really wanted to explore that because even though it's a story that happened 3,000 years ago, these are people who deal with a lot of the things we deal with and didn't think it was all as black and white as that, so... Those are some of the things I had fun exploring in the story. How do you explore these details when they're not expressly written in the Bible? Yeah, you know, in a fiction story, of course, you're taking some license, and there's always the people out there who have troubles with that. Though I don't think I've ever sat in a through a sermon where a pastor didn't extrapolate a little bit in telling a biblical story to bring it to life. And that's essentially what I'm doing, the same as Jesus did with parables, telling a story to bring things closer to home, make it more relatable. So in writing the story, you know, I take these characters and think, why would Samson do some of the things he did, or why would Delilah do what she did? Um, you know, and there's other characters that are involved, too, some that I actually had to go back and read the four chapters of Judges that Samson's story is told in, and go, wait, did he have a brother? Oh, it does say his brothers buried him, so apparently he had brothers. <laughs> so I didn't really remember that. So it was kind of fun to throw in a brother. I have a brother, so it's a lot of fun writing that relationship and similarities between my brother and I and Samson and his brother in the story. And, you know, just exploring these things and making it relatable to us now, because, you know, if we can't find truth in the Bible that relates to us now, then why are we reading it? But I believe God gave it to us for a reason and for us to continue to find things in there that that we can relate to today. That absolutely fascinates me because so often when I read biblical stories, like if it's not in a novelization or me reading a devotional or something like Francine Rivers does this a lot, like bringing biblical characters to life in her books. 
you kind yeah. of miss who these people are. You miss their temptations, their struggles, their walk with God. And I think it's so fascinating when an author is able to bring them to life and make this character that you've you know, heard about since you were in nursery a real person. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I, yeah, I think it's easy for us to kind of create these cardboard characters in our mind of King David or Bathsheba or Samson and Delilah. You know, they're almost something we heard in, in Sunday school or we've seen on a cartoon movie or, you know, or, or even a, you know, kind of a superhero version of Samson where he's just got the superhuman strength and to kind of forget that he was a real person who lived and breathed and, you know, wanted a relationship with a woman like most men his age <laughs> would want and, you know, saw that stripped uh, away from him by the Philistines. And, you know, so a lot of the things he did were reacting to that. And to write it, write the story and think through where he was, a lot of the decisions he made seemed a lot more, not that I could justify them, but they made a lot more sense um, than when it's only told in, you know, a few PowerPoint <laughs> examples or something. So, yeah, I really had fun with that. And, and of course, Delilah's story, too, I with all that's gone on with the you know, Me Too movement and sexual abuse that's come out. Not that any of that is new. That's stuff women have had to deal with since, you know, ages past. Um, but thankfully, they're finally getting a voice to speak out about it. And right before all this started coming out on the news, I was writing Delilah's character and thinking, you know, what, what would cause this woman to basically use her body to try to get information from Samson? Um, that's not from my experience, how women typically are unless something got twisted in their past, you know, in some way. And that, to me, seemed almost a logical jump to where did Delilah face that kind of stuff? Where did she become part of the Me Too movement 3,000 years ago? And I explored that a little bit in the story, though very... um, Tastefully, I guess you could say. I know a ten-year-old is probably not going to pick up on it if they read the story, but a sixteen-year-old will. Well, I love that you bring up that connection, for. though, because that was something I'm sitting here wondering. Like I've always, you know, been taught like the underlying, like, oh, here's Delilah. She's willing to put herself out there, and she's not the most wholesome of characters. But in writing this story, and you mentioned it was before all this news came out. How do you think, with the revelations, with the time person of the year being the silence breakers, with so many people mm-hmm. coming forward now, that all of a sudden her story story becomes more relatable? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I and that, that was part of what I wanted to do in writing the her story that way was to, you know, not just paint her as this black and white villain or or some victim to the Philistine schemes that she just had to do what they said, but that she made choices that, you know, she, just like Samson, made mistakes. But there were things that were motivating her. There were things that she was dealing with from her past. And I I fully believe that those are probably realities that of the real Delilah. Um, you know, the details of it, we don't know. But I just don't, you know, like I said, my experience with women is that women are pretty amazing people. I mean, <laughs> you know, I think so, but I might yeah, be biased. I mean, yeah, I'm biased. I have an amazing wife and two great daughters, so, you know. Um, but they don't, almost every girl I've known or been friends with, including my wife, who went through some abuse as a kid and has shared that publicly, um, you know, they're 
those things don't happen without some consequences and without things to deal with and some of what Delilah did seem to match up with those kind of consequences. So it is fascinating to me, yeah. This is Yeah, and I mean actually stuff. I even got a little teary eyed right, you know, the first time I started to explore that idea in her story and like I knew I was gonna probably go there, but I wasn't sure when it would come out or how I would portray it. And the first time she there's kind of a metaphor that I use in the story of how she sees herself and kind of this almost like a coin. Mm-hmm. You know, that she's got beauty on one side but on the other side is kind of this shame that is related to that beauty. And as I explored that in that particular chapter, it kind of hit me and got a little teary-eyed as I was writing, like, oh, my gosh, this poor lady. And, of course, you know, this is, you know, my fictionalized portion of her character, but I, I really do think all these people in this story are people we can relate to in some way and learn from and learn from their mistakes as well. So. That is amazing how did you get into the process of novelization like you've written several novels before and then recently it seems like you've been on this trend for writing the story companions to really powerful movies yeah the i don't know that i've done anything to cause it to happen (laughs) Uh, i just was writing stories and writing what i enjoyed and never to be honest thought of myself as collaborating with other people in the writing process because most writers, you know, lock themselves in a room and spend a thousand hours to write and edit and put together a book. So uh, I didn't imagine anyone else coming into that process. But I think my fourth book had just been finished, and I was actually working at Kinko's and still had a day job. <laughs> Don't so, we all? Yes. Yeah. So I had my day job and got a call from my agent, and he said, oh, I've got this opportunity for you to maybe write a novelization off of a screenplay of this kind of grassroots hit movie called Facing the Giants, and, you know, went into it and basically said, the only catch is it has to be finished in 30 days. (laughs) (laughs) That's totally Um, doable. Yeah, so that was the first time I I jumped into the process, and it's been pretty similar every time. Um, I don't know why. The movie process, which is so long and takes years and years to get movies made a lot of times and to get everything together, the novel part of it, they seem to like to throw together at the end. <laughs> so almost every time I've had, you know, four to six weeks to write the novelization. But it's actually been a process I've really loved, you know, to take someone else's bare bones. You know, a script is basically a skeleton of a story that mm-hmm. a director can then add flesh to. And I'm kind of on the writing side of that, where I've got the bare bones to add literary flesh to. Um, so usually it's about 15,000 words or so, and I'm turning it into a 75,000-word book. And, you know, adding different subplots or backstories, you know, dialogue, whatever, but trying to play, stay true to the story. So mm. it's actually a really fun process. My favorite thing that you do, though, is your supernatural thrillers. And... There have been books, uh, it was the third book in the Jerusalem Undead trilogy, and I cannot remember what it was called right now, but there was a battle that was symbolic of the crucifixion of Christ and what happened when he died and rose again from the dead. How do you come up with these parables or retellings that can relay the gospel in a way that maybe we haven't realized before? (laughs) 
well, that book was Valley of Bones. Uh, and, yeah, I had a lot of fun writing that book. Uh, the second book in the trilogy, I had people tell me, I see where you're going with it. I really like it, but we need to see more good. You know, I've mm-hmm. seen too much of the darkness, and I'm like, well, I promise you that this is a story arc, and you're going to get the final redemption. It's so good. <laughs> it is so good. I was at the beach. I was it was I was staying up all night long to finish reading it. I'm like laying in the bed with my sister, sobbing my eyes out, like, oh my goodness, the Lord loves me so much. <laughs> and here I was. I said I wouldn't rave, but I did. Oh, well. No, I, you know, it's always flattering to hear as an author because usually you're, like I said, you're sitting in a room writing. You don't get to ever see anybody enjoy what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I tell my wife, she's a musician, you know, so musicians can sit there in a room even with, even at Christmas, they can play a song for their, for the, for everybody at Christmas to sing a song and everybody's like, wow, oh, that was so beautiful. And I'm like, as a writer, you never get to even have that much you know feedback <laughs> you just write the book and it goes out there and you never see what happens with it mm-hmm. to see the you know reviews on amazon and it's there may be 50 good reviews but you see the five where they say this sucks and it's horrible and <laughs> i'm a writer <laughs> too i get those comments all the time about my stories i'm like well well thank you for your support i see why i do what i do <laughs> so, no it's encouraging but yeah the with the supernatural stories to me I don't, I mean, there are definitely books I've written that had a supernatural element, but to me, I just see kind of metaphor everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, you know, I'm one of those people I can be walking along the road and look down in the puddle and see the clouds and go, you know, see the sunshine say and go, wow, isn't it amazing how God can show us brightness even out of this dirty mud puddle? That's just like my life. I mean, this is a little mud puddle laying here that gets dirty and cars run through me, but he can still reflect his light through me. You know, I mean, things like that go to my head all the time. So I don't know if it's part of being a writer or I'm just weird. But um, so to put those things in the story is kind of uh, natural to me, but a lot of fun. And it just adds depth to me, um, to any kind of truth. Because, for example, you reading that story of Valley of Bones, you, you get something out of it different than someone else may. Mm-hmm. And sometimes even what I wrote, someone will tell me what, they got out of it. I'm like, wow, that's not at all what I was thinking when I wrote that, but that's amazing. And I totally get what you're, you know, wow, God really brought something else out of that story that I didn't even intend. So, you know, it just allows God to use it in ways beyond my people wisdom. So. One of the things I appreciate about that series is, um, and I don't think this is a spoiler, but people who are struggling with certain things, they're actually depicted as thorns that are choking these people. And I know that personally helped me like, oh, wow, this issue really does affect people. And you might think you're not bound by a certain issue, but this is really, it's getting to you and it's restraining you from being the person Christ called you to be. Yeah. Yeah, the thorns, that whole that idea was born out of the crown of thorns mm. that, you know, Jesus wore on the cross and, you know, basically kind of using that as a representation of our sins and guilt and shame and everything that he had to wear that. And so that's where the idea of the thorns was birthed. And then the more I explored that idea in the the series, it got pretty serious. (laughs) Um, You know, definitely not for the faint of heart, but definitely a very, um, very, I guess, a startling depiction of how sin can affect us and 
you know, that it's not something to mess around with. Absolutely. So, Are there any supernatural elements that we'll see in the Samson book? Uh, you know, not quite the way you saw it there. Um, when he picks up a jawbone and kills a thousand people. <laughs> I mean, I do that um, every are, morning, are, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, right after my first cup of coffee. <laughs> well, the funny thing is I had some, I actually used to be a youth pastor and I had one of the kids who was in my youth group and is now a missionary in Ireland. He, when he saw that I was writing Samson, he says, oh, I can't wait to read it. And I hope you don't portray him as some big, super strong man, you know, because otherwise it wouldn't seem like God was, was powerful through him, you know, that it was God's power. It would seem like it was his power. And I said, well, you know, I know what you're saying. I was like, <laughs> wait, Samson isn't that the whole kind of point of, of Samson? Yeah, I'm like, you know, Samson was a womanizer. He was, he obviously did these feats of strength. And of course, God could have done that through a wimpy guy because um, it was God's strength. But I think God uses the things he's given us. And probably God gave him some physical, you know, natural strength and then went crazy with that a few times. <laughs> um, you know, but Samson did need water at the end of that time of fighting all these people at the jawbone, and God supernaturally um, brought water to him out in the middle of the desert, you know, not the desert exactly, but a arid place. So um, there's definitely supernatural elements, and definitely it's portrayed that Samson's strength is from God, though there's sometimes in the story he does use his own physical strength, mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily of God, and there is a there's a trembling of the hands that was actually in the screenplay they used that um, to show that Samson was kind of feeling this supernatural strength after calling on God, and I thought that was a nice way to to differentiate. So there are a few times he reacts out of his own anger or... Mm vengeance or whatever, where it's not necessarily a godly thing. He's just reacting, and you don't see that trembling of the hands. It's just him fighting in his own strength, which is something all men can relate to when we use our strength, you know, out of our own uh, own uh, inspiration and anger or whatever, and when we're actually using it for a godly purpose. Now, I recognize that Samson is a Bible character, but as you were writing him, did you find yourself putting elements of your own personality in there? You know, and for some reason, this story, I did not feel that as much as I might have, I have in some other stories. Um, believe it or not, you mentioned Dark to Mortal Eyes, which was my first novel. Uh, the character I related the most to in that book was Sergeant Turney, <laughs> who is a overweight sergeant who struggled with um, food addiction. Mm -hmm. And that's not really me at all, but I related to his character in a lot of ways because of his being afraid to enter the spiritual battle and kind of being having to be forced into it backwards. <laughs> so in this story, I, I don't know that I related to Samson. Um, Did you relate to Delilah? Is there something there we should know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> specifically, I'd probably say <laughs> it was his brother. Mm -hmm. um, I related to his the relationship between he and his brother, because my brother and I have had many times in our life where, you know, we've had to pick each other up and encourage each other or challenge each other. And my brother has been one of those people in my life who's challenged me many times and said, you know, don't give up on the gift that I've given you, whether that was a writing or something else. And that's kind of how uh, Caleb Sampson's brother in the book is. He's the one 
challenging Samson not to avoid the calling God has on his life. And I guess even though that was the relationship in the book of between these brothers, um, I didn't necessarily relate to Samson. Maybe it's because I don't have huge biceps. So I, didn't, I, didn't I don't either. Book. It's okay. <laughs> Out of all the characters in the Bible, you know, Samson is not there on the top of my list where I'm like, him, yes, Lord, I see it too. But I'm also you know, a the girl. Funny thing is, yeah. Well, my next door neighbor is actually a, he's an Algerian guy, a really, really cool guy. He and I have gone to like Graceland and seen the, <laughs> seen all the exhibits. Because priorities, and, yes. Uh, yeah, you know, all the important things when you live in Tennessee. So he is actually a bodybuilder, and one of his things is to try to do it naturally and, you know, not, not uh, use any kind of, you know, illegal things, or I don't even know all of what's involved in that industry and i'm sure there's a lot of things that gone behind the scenes but he's been trying to do it the right way and because he's muslim he really hates ramadan or hates that time of the year because mm-hmm. he has to try to train during ramadan without being able to eat on a normal schedule <laughs> so i always feel bad for him he's not as happy that during that period but i wouldn't be either um, yeah i'm also not very happy when i have to fast for the lord but i remind myself that it's his strength <laughs> and not mine so <laughs> absolutely but he was—he actually was my physical example as I was writing it. I think, boy, Samson—you know—he really—I could imagine my next door neighbor being Samson the way he looks. So he has that kind of physique. And, meanwhile, and actually, what's that? Oh, meanwhile, all my next door—and all I know about my next door neighbors is they have Chihuahuas, and that doesn't really strike me as a Samson-esque <laughs> character either. Probably not. Uh, no, there's—I can't think of any dogs in the book now that now we come to that point, but. Um, yeah, so as I wrote it, I did think of my next-door neighbor, and, and actually he is, if, strangely enough, despite his size and physique, if I shake his hand, he has this, like, really soft handshake. <laughs> and maybe that affected my my portraying of Samson, because I definitely showed that he has a soft side, too, when it comes to Delilah and, you know, his mom, you know, probably the women in his life especially. Um he definitely has a sensitive side, and writing it in first person, I was kind of able to get in his head a little more with that. But, but pretty much all a man's man beyond that. <laughs> Got it. I am really excited to read this book. Um, if people want to find out more information about it, where can they go? They can go to thesamsonbook.com, and they can actually pre-order the book uh, if if they have not got it already, they can order it after January 9th, I believe, is the release date. And there are some freebies on this, the music, sample chapters, that kind of thing. I love it. Uh, so, yeah. It's, it's funny because the publisher actually put a sample chapter on there. I didn't have any say in it, so it was interesting to see what they came up with. You know, you're always curious, what will they put on there? So that was fun, but... Most of the story is told first person through Samson's point of view, and then you have some chapters where you get to see things from his mom's point of view and Delilah's, and then also the Philistine prince who's really got it out for Samson. So. Those darn Philistines. Mm. They just did not like the Israelites. <laughs> all right. That is actually all <laughs> the time we have for today. Could you please pray us out and pray for our listeners? Definitely. Well, Lord, I... I've really had a lot of fun sharing this today, and I know there's a lot of people out there who are raising kids who they believe God has called, and they're not watching their kids make good choices, and 
my wife and I had to do deal with that with our own kids. Pray that you give them faith and courage and perseverance and also the patience to know when to hold their time and when to speak up. And for the children, whether adult children or younger children that are listening, pray that you'd give them the strength to hear God's voice and to go where God leads them and to be who he's called them to be and not let shame or guilt pull them away and make them alienate themselves, but to stay true to their friends that are following you and to stay true to you and their family. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Shalom, Christian friends. Ezra International rescues Jewish families in war-torn Ukraine, Islamic nations of the former Soviet Union, and remote Siberia, as well as South America, and returns them to Israel, the land of their hope. Your prayers and financial help will bless Israel. Visit EzraInternational.org and invite Ezra to your church. Help fulfill biblical prophecy. The time is now. Go to EzraInternational.org or call 325-394-4673. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible.